When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for calling Toyota. This is Jan. How can I help? Hi, thanks for telling my family and me about Toyota's national sales event. We got a new RAV4 during the event, and it's been great. Well, that makes me happy. Right now through September 6th, it is the best time to drive off in a new Camry Hybrid, Tacoma, and more. So what are you up to? You know, we took the RAV4 to a great spot, and now we're exploring a cave. Amazing. Yeah, my wife talked me into spelunking. I'm actually a complete and absolute amateur. Absolute amateur. Absolute amateur. Huh, I could have done without the echo on that. Toyota's national sales event is on. Visit your participating Toyota dealer today to enjoy every last second of summer. Toyota, let's go places. See your participating Toyota dealer for details. Dealer inventory may vary. Event ends September 6th. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Gamecock Central Radio. It's Emerson Phillips joined by Wes Mitchell. Gamecock's moving into the bye week this week, so no game coming up on Saturday, but we did have a rare Sunday game for South Carolina. The Gamecock's coming up on the short end of a 28-14 to score against SEC East rival Georgia. And Wes, a lot to talk about in this ball game, and we're going to touch on a number of topics from the Georgia game yesterday, but I think we should begin with what a tremendous crowd was on hand, given what has been you know, a very difficult week for a lot of folks into Palmetto State with Hurricane Matthew. A lot of folks in Columbia were without power. Of course, the coastal areas of South Carolina were evacuated going into the weekend because of the threat of the hurricane. That moved the game to a 2.30 kick on Sunday, a very rare Sunday game for South Carolina, and the place was almost full, Wes. Yeah, you know, obviously, Emerson, we want to send out all of our thoughts to to those who were affected by the uh, the storm and you know obviously i think a lot of people even if you weren't affected by it you probably know somebody who was we want to send out those thoughts but i i thought um you know as far as football goes it was just another sign of of how much uh football matters to the people in the state of south carolina we we actually had a bunch of people on our boards emerson who were displaced by the storm and we're we're basically like uh, i'm not going home yet anyway i'm i'm gonna go to the football game so um, you know, I, I think football and, and Ray Tanner was in a very difficult spot um, because regardless of his decision, he was going to be criticized. Um, but I, I thought in the aftermath of everything, the decision to still play the game, but to move it to Sunday afternoon um, proved to be absolutely the right decision. It was a great crowd. I think it was a, a good chance for people who have basically spent their whole weekend and leading up to the weekend focused on a storm got to sort of, uh, you know, get out of that mindset a little bit and, and go watch some football. And, you know, I, I thought that absolutely a – if we really want to get deep, I mean, sort of the, the fact that the storm had moved on and that the, the sun, you know, rose on Sunday, it was a perfect, literally a perfect day for football on Sunday. You could not have asked 
for a better day for football and and the fans turned out and you know I, it it was kind of interesting some of the different Georgia media folks I, I even got asked on like Thursday or Friday you know or are South Carolina fans even going to be excited for this is anybody even going to show up with everything going on and I just kind of paused I was like dude you know it's South Carolina Georgia um you know the the Clemson the Clemson game is obviously the biggest game every year for South Carolina but when the Clemson game is on the road, then those same years, uh, the Georgia game is at home. So, I, I mean, I think this, to a lot of fans, is the biggest home game of the year when South Carolina-Georgia match up. South Carolina almost always plays Georgia close at home, um, even when they have a lesser team. And I think we saw that again uh, on this, I keep wanting to say Saturday, but on this Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah Georgia led 14 to nothing at halftime, a couple of TD runs for Nick Chubb, a 15-yarder and a one-yarder. And Wes... You know, strange first half. The Gamecocks committed three turnovers in the first half. Georgia had difficulty throwing the ball, to say the least, but they didn't have to throw it. They ran it very successfully. Chubb had the two first-half touchdown runs, and you know, even though the Gamecocks had turned it over three times in the first half, it was only a 14 to nothing at the break, and the Gamecocks were still in the ball game. You know, it just um, it just had kind of – did it not almost have that South Carolina-Georgia feel to it? Like, um, <laughs> even when Georgia is a better team, which – George George is a more talented team than South Carolina. They do have some inexperience at spots, clearly, but I think they're overall a more experienced team, and they have more depth, and they, they were the better football team. But South Carolina just sort of hanging around, just kind of felt like that typical Georgia can't put this game away against South Carolina. You know, they had multiple opportunities. It's 14 to nothing. Georgia has a shot at the end of the half. Um, Kirby Smart... I couldn't tell in person, and I couldn't tell watching it on TV either in the replay what happened at the end of the half when he didn't get the timeout. Like, I couldn't tell if the ref didn't see him or if he just um, froze and didn't hit it in time, didn't realize the clock was running. But South Carolina, you know, got a little bit of a break from Georgia possibly being able to heave one up or, or maybe try a long field goal. All the, the, wind, the wind was kind of, uh, kind of whipping a little bit at that moment, I noticed. So, um, then, you know, Georgia drives down, has a chance to go up 17 or 21 to nothing. South Carolina gets a, an interception on a nice tip ball by Jamarcus King, who I think continues to play well. Gamecocks continue to just hang around, hang around. You almost had a feeling, hey, could something, could something special happen here? 14 to 7 ball game. And then I, I think that it just goes back, Emerson, to uh, self-inflicted wounds and you know, if you're a great football team, if you have a ton of talent, if you can just out-talent teams up and down the field, you can you can make mistakes because mistakes are part of football. They they really are. Teams, even, you know, Alabama, uh, best football team in, in the nation until somebody proves otherwise. You know, Ohio State, Clemson, whoever you want to talk about. Every team makes mistakes, but they have the athletes to sort of uh, to still – win games I think right now South Carolina just in a place and we'll go into some of those mistakes in a second but um, I I think just at a place right now where they can't have these just big self-inflicted wounds and and win games the margin of error is just too small yeah Gamecock certainly had some self-inflicted wounds in the first half but only trailed 14 to nothing it felt like it was a ball game even though the Gamecocks got shut out in the first half and then in the third quarter West the only score of the third period was a 90-yard Gamecock scoring drive it was capped off by a Debo Samuel nine-yard touchdown run. And here we are in the third quarter, a 14-7 to ball game. The Gamecocks have finally got some momentum. 
uh, Gamecock fans got to be happy to see Debo Samuel not not only healthy but playing well. We got a glimpse of what Debo Samuel is capable of. He had missed the last three ball games due to injury, so he's back for the Georgia game. He gets into the end zone and it's fourteen seven, and it really felt like at that point the Gamecocks had the momentum and they might have a chance to come back and win. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and I think two things to unpack right right there, Emerson. Uh, one, Debo Samuel. I've even noticed almost a little bit of just negativity from a segment of the fan base about Debo and. Uh, you know, while I'm done with him because of the injuries and stuff like that, but um, I, I think he showed why so many people are are so high on his ability. Uh, you know, this is a guy, and it's hard for the staff because they've not been able to count on him. But when, now, that, I mean, now that we've all seen what he can do, I think you make a case for this is a guy that you have to try to find a way to get the football to. Um, you know, in South Carolina's second touchdown drive. His little uh, – there was a third nine, I remember, and he just ran a little, like, pigtail route uh, where he juts in, then out, and Orth hit him well short of the sticks, and he makes a guy miss and drags another guy for the first down. That That's just um, – you know, when we talk about other teams having playmakers, you know, athletes that just make plays, D- Debo was one of those guys. If you get him the football, he, he can make plays for you. The touchdown play – you know, a jet sweep, that's twice we've seen him score on a similar play this year. Uh, may have even been the same exact play. Um, it, it looked very, very similar to the one against Vanderbilt. So, you know, that, that's a play where, was it blocked perfectly? Probably not necessarily. Was it blocked well enough to give your guy some room? Yes, you got a block on the edge. You know, I think Rico Daddle had a nice block on that play. Um, get the ball to Debo, good things seem to happen. The other side of that, to tie it all together, is that, I'm not so sure. I know he had the muff. I'm not uh, early in the year. I'm not so sure you don't maybe give Debo another shot at the punt return game because that this has become a bigger issue than I think any of us knew it was going to be. Uh, if you look at the the punt return game for South Carolina this year, you've had a muff punt against um, Vanderbilt. You've had a a punt return for touchdown get called back because of a block in the back against Kentucky. You've had a muffed punt against um, Texas A&M when you're about to get the ball back and possibly go down for a game-tying score in the fourth quarter. And now uh, you had Hayden Hurst, who they thought they could put back there and just say, hey, go catch the football. You're a mature veteran, um, at least in age. You're 23 years old. Go catch the football and and don't make any mistakes. And you had what I thought was uh, possibly the, the most, I guess, harmful error of the game was right after that score, the Debo Samuel score, South Carolina's defense went out and got a stop. It's 14-7. There's some momentum. The crowd is in the game. Georgia's punting. And Hurst, obviously inexperienced back there, got out of the way instead of running up and fair catching it. The ball hits at the 31 and then rolls all the way to about the three-yard line. And that, that to me, was just – that was the, the killer because – the entire sequence of events moving after that were directly affected by that play because we all know way easier to execute at the 31 than it is at your own three. South Carolina goes three and out. You, you could almost you could almost see the future when that happened. <laughs> you know, if South Carolina goes three and out, you know that Georgia is going to get the ball in great field position, and you know that Georgia's going to get their running game going again and probably going to have an opportunity to put the game away 
and they did. So, uh, you know, that that to me was just another example. It, it was absolutely killer for him, Emerson. And, you know, you look at you look at Georgia as well as they ran the football, and they did run the football well. South Carolina couldn't stop it. But, you know, South Carolina averaged 5.1 yards, yards per play on offense. Georgia averaged 5.3 yards per play on offense. So it wasn't that much of a discrepancy. But the turnovers, the field position, uh, you know, that that's not a turnover in the book. But by letting that ball roll to over 25 yards and then – you punt the ball back to Georgia. I think they got the ball about the 43, maybe, the 40-something yard line. You you give a team like that great field position. They're already able to run the football well. Um, to me, that that was those things were the difference in the ball game. 14-7 Georgia at the end of the third quarter, but then the Bulldogs got a six-yard touchdown pass. Jacob Eason to Isaiah McKenzie to make it 21-7. Rico Dowdle scored his first touchdown as a Gamecock in a one-yard run with a minute 40 to play to cut it to 21-14, but then on the Gamecock onside kick, Georgia scooped it and swooped it 43 yards for a touchdown. And that accounted for the final score. Georgia 28, South Carolina 14. The Gamecocks are now 2-4. And, and Wes, recapping some of the final numbers from this game, Georgia completed five passes the entire game. They threw for 29 yards in this ball game, but they were able to win it by two scores because they ran 50 times for 326 yards. They had three backs over 80 yards in the ball game. Brian Herrion carried nine times for 82 yards. Nick Chubb, 16 for 121 and the two scores. And Sonny Michelle, 21 for a buck 33. So Georgia ran the football up and down the field. They didn't have to throw it. Muschamp, after the game, said, yeah, they threw it 17 times, and that might have been 17 too many. <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree. You know, you know, Emerson, I'm sitting there watching the game. I'm like, I, and I, I, you know, you know what a coach is going to say. A coach is going to say, "Well, you got to be balanced. You got to remain balanced." I don't know if Georgia had to, had to throw the football at all. You know, it, it was one of those things where uh, they had so much success running the ball. There were multiple. Uh, I got at least two images in my head of third and longs where Georgia is able to just run the football and still pick up the first down. So. Uh, defense obviously wasn't perfect. Uh, they they uh, were giving up too much against the run. Now, you know, in the grand scheme of the game, I thought the defense did what they always do. Those guys are very resilient. They hang in there. They seem to make plays when they absolutely have to. And, you know, even the the Georgia touchdown for them to go up 14 nothing. you know, that, that, that had the makings. That was almost an ice little goal line stand. They stopped. Georgia on first and goal for the one, second and goal from the one, and um, you know almost did on third and goal from the one. So I, you know, the defense, it's hard for me. Even though you can certainly say where they could play better, when you look at where they're coming from, Emerson, talking about last year, <laughs> with pretty pretty much the same personnel, right? I mean, you got Jamarcus King um, in there now, but. For the most part, this is very similar personnel to last year. When you when you look at the defense and the strides they've made, you can easily nitpick and point out areas they could be better. But I just I'd have a hard time being too hard on the defense because of so much improvement there that you've seen and just the way that they find a way to to give the team a chance. But unfortunately for South Carolina, the these games are starting to become very similar. It hasn't really mattered the opponent. You know, South Carolina has just been in games where they hang around. The defense gives them a chance. They have brief um, periods where you see semblance of pretty good offense. But for the most part, too much inconsistency on offense. 
no running game to speak of on offense. And uh, too many self-inflicted wounds. No running game, Wes. Let's talk about that. 26 carries for 30 yards total for South Carolina Mm. in this ballgame. And the Gamecocks did allow five sacks, lost 33 yards on those five sacks. But Georgia's defense recorded the five sacks. They also had eight tackles for loss. And, Wes, when you're talking about offensive line play, you look at two things. You look at run game productivity and you look at pass protection. And the Gamecocks didn't have much of either against Georgia. Absolutely. And I I think – you know those two things go hand in hand. If you if you don't run the football, then it's much more difficult to to throw the football because you're in third and longs, and the, the defense can pin its ears back and and get after your quarterback. I I tend to think personally um, that the running game issues seem to me to be a bit greater than the pass protection issues. I, I think when South Carolina is sort of able to stay out of those third and longs. Uh, when the quarterback makes fast decisions and gets the ball out, the pass protection, um, I'm not saying these guys have been great in pass protection, but the pass protection has been pretty solid um, comparatively to the running game. But, you know, I I think you look at just the running game consistently throughout the entire season and you say uh, there just has not been that push up front that you need. Now, I, I think a guy like Rico Daddle, has given them a chance. He's shown he can break tackles. He's shown he can provide a burst. But then you see, once again, the uh, sort of situation the staff is in. You play a true freshman because you feel like you have to, and uh, he, he produces a fumble. Uh, you know, A.J. Turner is playing as a redshirt freshman. He had a fumble. He also had a, a, a swing pass drop that, you know, is just a, a concentration thing where he looks up first and uh, would have went for a big play. This is sort of the situation you're in where you're having to play a bunch of freshmen and then your offensive line. You know, the offensive line, no matter how good you are in other areas of the game, the offensive line just uh, has to play solid for, for any of the other playmakers to be able to, to make plays, I think. And that's just not been a consistent thing. They'll show flashes of it, but uh, for the most part, it has not been consistent. And to me, it, it, it all starts sort of with – uh, the push up front in the running game. If they could get that push in the running game, I think a lot of these other issues w- would sort of go away. I mean, you look, look at the second downs and third downs that South Carolina was facing. If if you probably went back and and averaged them out, you know, Georgia's facing second and fives, second and threes, second and twos, third and twos, where South Carolina is facing a lot of second and nine, second and eights, and third and sevens and stuff like that. Uh, just the, the percentages, the numbers, um, no matter how you break it down, <clears throat> that that's not going to get the job done for you. South Carolina, 2 of 13 on third down conversions in this ball game. That's been a problem all year as well for the Gamecock offense. So a lot of mental mistakes, some untimely penalties, and the Gamecocks struggling right now at 2 and 4 overall, 1 and 4 in SEC play. South Carolina with a bye week this week before they will host UMass one week from Saturday. Gamecock Central Radio here. Emerson Phillips with Wes Mitchell. We invite you to download the Gamecock Central Radio app. We've got a free phone app that allows you to listen to Gamecock Central podcasts on your cell phone. You get it for free anywhere you receive cell phone service. You can listen on your phone. The GCR app is available on the App Store and on Google Play. To subscribe to the podcast, search for Gamecock Central Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other popular services, or just visit radio.gamecockcentral.com. Wes, let's talk about the quarterback situation for 
for the Gamecocks real quick before we wrap it up. Perry Orth, you had a pretty good stat line, 26 of 36. That's a very good completion percentage. He threw for 288 yards. Did have the one pick. Numbers-wise, Orth looks pretty good, but the Gamecocks just not putting enough points on the board. Yeah, and, you know, we were laughing before we started recording, Emerson. I mean, uh, we've probably talked about uh, quarterbacks in, what, every single podcast we've recorded this preseason through the season just because it's uh, it continues to be an an issue. And I I think, I'll admit, I'm a bit torn because it's hard to be too completely hard on Perry Orth because at this point he is he is what he is you know he he is a great teammate he works incredibly hard a a great human being by all indications and at most programs if you've recruited and developed at the quarterback position you you know Perry Orth's not having to start so if a guy is going out and doing the best that he can it's not really fair to criticize him too much now. If we're just going to look at the quarterback position itself, and you 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 still have to turn around and say though, South Carolina has to get better play from the spot from that spot because um, you know you look at the stat line, but then you also say there were several plays where our completions in the stat line, but a receiver you know maybe catches a ball that's behind him. Uh, you know, in the case of Keel Pollard, he literally takes away. Uh, what looked like an interception from a Georgia player, uh, you know. Now, now Orth had several great throws, but then other times, you know, I, I distinctly remember a third and about five early in the game. You know, people want to blame a lot of play calling, but third and five, Georgia's in man coverage. They run Terry Guger on a uh, just a little shallow cross. All of Georgia's other receivers have, va- or excuse me, defenders have vacated because they're running down the field with receivers in man coverage and. Here comes Guger breaking open. He's got all types of field in front of him. All you have to have is a is a, a good, solid touch pass leading him. He's got a first down. The ball's behind him. Guger sort of has to reach back, tips the ball to himself, catches it, and then falls down about a yard, yard and a half short of the sticks. That's a completion in the books, but uh, you're you're in real life. You're punting. And, uh, you know, people will blame Kurt Roper, but that, that's a good call. Uh, you know, the, the execution consistently is just not there right now. And, you know, you look at this quarterback position moving forward, where where do you go from here? Because at the end of the day, you have a, a true freshman that just simply, uh, to, really not to any fault of his own either, is not is just not ready, uh, you know, to be a consistent passer. And then you have a redshirt or excuse me, a fifth-year senior walk-on who uh, does everything the right way but just um, doesn't really have the, the running ability either to keep defenses honest, doesn't have the the great O-line and great playmakers around him to where you could tell him just to sit back there and, and sort of uh, manage the game, the, to use the cliche. Um, you know, you, you almost, to make things work right now, with the O-line problems, you almost need a dynamic quarterback to maybe uh, erase some of those mistakes. Uh, you need a Connor Shaw, I think. Uh, they they don't have that right now. And, and the I don't know what the answer is. A lot of people are obviously yelling for, for Jake Bentley. And, uh, you know, that's – to me, that's that's a difficult decision to make because I I could sit here and I could probably make – and I and it's not that I would be – making things up i i would believe both sides like i i could make a compelling case 
to go ahead and say use the the bye week to get Jake Bentley ready and and roll with Jake Bentley. But I could also make the compelling case of, uh, hey, let this guy not be thrown into the fire. Redshirt him. You're in the weight room. You're in the playbook. Um, you know, you you look at redshirt freshman quarterbacks in college football. There, I mean, there's been some very very good ones that have redshirted and then set the world on fire their, their second year. You know, J- Jameis Winston was a redshirt. He was outstanding his redshirt freshman year. Uh, Francois, the kids at Florida State now, he was a red. He's a redshirt freshman. You know, there, there's a case to be made for for that too. So, I, I I don't know what the answers are because right now there is no there's no easy answer for this staff. And you know, the fan base is going to criticize. You can use uh, you know hindsight after the fact, and it's going to be 2020. And you know, you can even make the case for playing Lorenzo Nunez as a wildcat change of pace to to maybe try to get the running game going a little bit so you know there, there's no easy obvious answer in my opinion all right the Gamecocks still experiencing growing pains as we are now halfway through the 2016 season the first year for head coach Will Muschamp and Wes uh, TJ Moore decommitted over the weekend Wes and our listeners today can read more about that on Gamecock Central wanted to get you to talk about that briefly yeah absolutely uh, you know I, I think it's a situation where you have a four-star kid uh, he was originally Looking at South Carolina and Tennessee, obviously committed to South Carolina, and and it's just something South Carolina's going to have to combat. You know, South Carolina right now is two and four. Tennessee, uh, you know, has only lost one game this year. They're still leading in the SEC East race. You know, they're in a good position right now. So, you know, South Carolina has has sold these kids on coming in and playing early, being a part of the 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 turnaround at South Carolina, but then. You know, these kids sit there and watch South Carolina lose games and watch Tennessee or whoever win games. And, uh, you know, just because a guy's on the commitment list doesn't mean he's he's obviously going to sign. So this this staff is going to have to just continue. And they will. I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. Uh, this is exactly what they're going to do is they're going to sit back and keep recruiting these guys just like they're uncommitted. And T.J. Moore is the type of player South Carolina needs to physically, you know, needs to, to turn things around on the offensive front. So, you know they'll they'll keep working him and keep trying to the end. They still got you know one of his teammates committed, so they've got a good relationship at that school. I wouldn't say it's completely over, but this is just something when you when you're two and four and trying to get big time players that other SEC teams want. Um, you know you're always going to have this danger, I guess. All right, Wes, we'll continue to follow this situation here on Gamecock Central. Uh, everybody gets a chance to sort of catch their breath this week with the bye week. What you doing this weekend, Wes? Um, I will probably be watching a lot of uh, college football. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I figured you would. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll sit down, uh, watch some football, maybe uh, maybe throw something on the grill, but um, it, it'll be fun. And I, you know, I've, I've enjoyed, you know. Uh, just I always enjoy the chance to sit back and, and watch all the other games too and, and see what's going on in the rest of the college football world and I'm sure they'll uh there's all you can almost always these days find a pretty good game on so we're we're I mean, how spoiled are we that just about every single decent game is on TV now? Yeah, yeah, I know a lot of folks uh, sort of set their fall schedule up around the bye week. I know there's a lot of weddings in South Carolina this weekend and a couple of charity golf tournaments and that kind of thing. People know not to schedule these type of events typically on a Gamecock football Saturday, which we will not have this Saturday because it is the Gamecocks bye week. Wes, thanks again. We covered a lot of ground today and a lot to talk about with Gamecock football. Gamecocks will try to regroup and get ready for the second half of the season. Thank you. 
Absolutely. And and quick note, uh, the UMass game, a noon kickoff. Uh, that was just announced right before we uh, started recording. So um, that, I guess, to be expected, probably, probably going to see some of those uh, nooners, as uh, Steve Spurrier used to call them, and hmm. uh, the Gamecocks get one for UMass. So, uh, But, yeah, appreciate it as always, Emerson, and uh, look forward to the, to the next podcast. All right, thanks, Wes. UMass coming up on the 22nd. Then it'll be Tennessee and Missouri at home, followed by road trip to Florida, home against Western Carolina, and then at Clemson to wrap up the regular year. For Wes Mitchell, I'm Emerson Phillips. This is Gamecock Central Radio. Thanks for being with us. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.